In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. But to really go to that next level and become a God buddy, I think you need somebody who understands and shares the vision for becoming more Christ-like. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Thanks for being a man in the arena i am jim ramos your host of this show and guys i gotta tell you i'm really excited about today's guest this is an an average guy an everyday guy who wrote a book for a problem that most men deal with and don't even know they have relationships with other men authentic relationships with other guys hey guys so stay tuned in you're gonna have a great time on this show today with our guest guys i want to talk to you about man laws our man laws are supplied by you you are our audience you are the guys that that uh, we are here to serve and here to guide through life to help you become your best version. And so we've asked you guys to give us man laws. These will go into a book someday. We'll give you full credit, of course, if we use your man law. And again, we're looking for funny man laws that we can laugh. This is very light-sided man laws. If you do, uh, we will. if we use your man law, uh, and you hit us up at info at meninthearena.org with your address, we will send you some Men in the Arena swag. So this one here, I don't expect this guy to hit me up with swag, but I just finished reading a book that was monumental in my faith called Fault Lines by Vodi Bauckham. This is a critical book and understand a revival that we're seeing in our country, but not a Christian revival, a revival of social, social justice. So CRT, critical race theory, or CSJ, critical social justice. And Vodi is a uh, black man who was raised in South Central L.A. in the 70s by a single mom. And this guy dismantles social justice uh, theory as uh, anti-Christian, antithetical to Christ. Uh, It is something that is in a direct opposition and attack of the church. And in his book, he uh, jokingly, talking about the leaders of this movement and how they do stuff, he said this, and I think this is hilarious. If a law is on your side, pound the law. If facts are on your side, pound the facts. If nothing is on your side, pound the table. And I just think that is hilarious. So, Vody Bauckham, we want to get you on the show. And, uh, man, uh, if you somehow come across this podcast 
and you hit us up, we'll send you all sorts of swag. So thanks for your book. Thanks for taking a stand against uh, one of the most vicious movements against Christianity that we've seen in my lifetime. And so want to thank you for that, man. So, hey, this week's hero story, again, guys, you are the heroes of your story. You're the ones that God has put on display. And when we hear from you guys, we just want to highlight you. And I just got a message from a guy on Instagram, Troco, T-R-O-C-C-O. And he writes, I just got your free book, Tell Them, from the website and read it through the first couple of days. Great topics to talk about with my sons. So meaningful. I find it is another area I fall short on. I give my kids a lot of affection, but don't do well on meaningful conversation. This is a great tool. It has already provoked thoughts and how I can improve on how my father spent time with me. Thank you. So Troco, if you hit us up at info at menandarena.org, we will send you some swag. Thanks so much for that, guys. Again, keep them coming. <laughs> hey, I'm excited to have our guest on today, my new friend, Rich Gorecki. Rich lives in the suburbs of Chicago with his beautiful wife of 38 years, Cindy. He, his specialization expertise is he is the founder and writer of the God Buddies blog. And in 2021, so this year, he wrote a brand new book called Get Out of Your Man Cave, The Crisis of Male Friendships and Turning Good Friends into God Buddies. I am really excited to dive into this book, guys. I think this book addresses one of those issues that we as guys don't like to talk about. And really, it's our ineptitude building deep and authentic relationships with other guys. I know it's a struggle for me, and I know it's a struggle for many of you guys. And so if you want to get through this arena of life, this stress bubble while you're raising your kids, uh, this is a great opportunity to learn and grow uh, using uh, these these God buddies as a reference point and locking arms with other guys. And so Rich, it's great to have you on the show, man. Thanks. I'm honored to be part of it. Well, Hey, I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to throw you in real quick to what we call our rapid fire round. But before we do, I just wanted to give you a couple minutes just to share your story with the guys, uh, your personal life, things you enjoy, hobbies or anything else you'd like to share. Sure. Well, I'm a uh, long-suffering Chicago Bears fan, as you said, living in Chicago. You know, this wasn't a good weekend for us against yeah. the Packers, but the last decade hasn't been a good weekend for a good uh, oh, decade funny. for us against the Packers. But yeah, born and raised uh, Southside uh, Chicago. Um, you know, as you said, married 38 years, got three uh, young adult men, boys, and uh, just recently retired from the printing and publishing industry last year, my choice, not, not, uh, you know, due, due to job loss and COVID. So it was a real blessing to be part of that, that the last year, um, you know, belong to a local Presbyterian church and have led the men's group there for the last, uh, 20 some odd years. And, um, this whole God buddy concept kind of came out of that time. Well, I appreciate that. So what we're going to do now is in show of our appreciation, we're going to throw you into our rapid fire round. So what I've done, Rich, is I pulled off uh, four phrases and or words from your book that I just want you to, I'm just going to throw them out there. I just want you to explain them as fast as you can, and we're going to move into the book. So this way the guys have a context for uh, what's going on in the book. So the first word I found was on page, or words, on page 42, and it's the words service providers. So service providers are people who are just users of friendships, you know, so we've all encountered them throughout our lives. And there's people who only reach out to you whenever they need something, right? They're not, it's never a two-way street. And I call those service providers. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I, I have found that I cycle through friends fairly quickly when I realize that 
they are only a liability and they don't bring any asset to the program. I think that's important to note that this guy is, is not, he's not a giver. He's just a taker. So I thought that was really good. Relationships are two way. The next phrase is side by side relationships. And I thought this was really, really good. This was also on page 42 of your book. Okay. So a side by side relationship is guys tend to do things together, whether it's watching a ball game or doing a service project together, serving in some manner, whereas our female counterparts tend to do things face to face, you know, they'll sit across from each other at a table over coffee and, and share their lives, whereas guys, you know, we don't want to look at each other, we're just gonna, we'll talk about it, but we don't want to look face to face at each other. And that's just the side by side relationships that we have for versus the uh, face-to-face relationships that are wives or or daughters. So Rich, it's interesting. We've had almost 500 episodes of our podcast. I I mean, I read, I read books constantly. I've read dozens and dozens of books on manhood and side-by-side relationships have never been written about in any of the books I've read. But when I read it, I thought this is profoundly true that men connect doing stuff together. Men connect through purpose or mission. Women connect because their default is to connect. Can you uh, embellish? Sure. Yeah. Um, You know, I think, you know, as guys, we tend to not want to expose ourselves too much. You know, we don't want to expose our weaknesses. We don't want to jump into a men's Bible study and all of a sudden people realize that we don't know what we think we know about the Bible and we just don't want to expose that. And um, I think the best way to engage with other guys is to start doing something side by side. It could be a fire pit, you know, one Friday evening in somebody's backyard where you're talking about, you know, the latest game and it slowly evolves into some deeper discussion. Could be, you know, hammering nails into a, you know, a Habitat for Humanity house that you're working on. It's just something that you're working and sitting side by side. Um, sharing life together and talking about things. And all of a sudden something just slides in there about, Hey, how are you doing at work? You know, I heard you just changed Mm -hmm. jobs or you're contemplating it. It's just something that naturally evolves out of those side-by-side relationships. Well, you have three sons. They're about the age of my three sons. And I have found that as my sons enter adulthood, they're marrying, they're getting engaged, they're buying homes. I have to find opportunities for those side-by-side relationships. For example, on June 11th and 12th of this year, we are having our debt, our annual death ruck. We canceled it last year because of COVID, but we're doing it this year. And it was 56 miles in 36 hours and 7,500 feet of gain. And I've got three sons and one son who's adopted. I call him my adopted Filipino son. So I, I, I put it out there for those four guys. My like, guys, we let's do this thing. And what it is, it's a side by side or or us hunting in the duck blind. I think it's so important not only to connect with our men, but to connect with your sons as they become men. Oh, sure, sure. Um, one of, in, one, with one of my son, my oldest son, we did, um, we, all three of my boys were in Boy Scouts. And I was fortunate enough to go to Philmont Scout Ranch in New Mexico with my oldest son. And that, if, for people who don't know, you know, it turns into a 10 day, 85 mile hike up to 12,000 feet peaks and, and whatever. And you're just hiking, you're just humping it uh, for, you know, six, eight hours the day and you just, pause every so often and have a meal and to, and to just enjoy each other's company. So mm-hmm. you're walking side by side with them and, you know, you, 
a lot of things come up in discussion when you're walking side by side with somebody over the course of six hours. Yeah. I just right. can't remember. I just can't recommend that the most. And, and you're right. Like we, ha we have a phenomenal team of volunteer national team captains that run national small groups and getting guys who are listening to this podcast to actually sign up is like pulling teeth because it puts them in a face-to-face -face thing, which I do think is important, but it's not a man's default. A default right. is side by side. So that was very powerful to me. So then your book, so your book is actually called Get Out of Your Man Cave. So, but I could not find, I'm sure I missed this. I couldn't find a definition of man cave in the book and I'm sure I missed it. I'm sure it was there. But so how would you define man cave? Well, in, in the case of COVID, you know, so many people have isolated themselves and, you know, we deal with the stresses of life by retracting or hiding behind our PC at, at work or Mac, um, you know, uh, at, at, in our home office. And we just, we hide behind that. Or instead of being out and about, we'll go down into the basement and watch the ball game or do something like that. We just tend to pull away from the people who are closest to us. So I use that as a metaphor. It's like, get out of your man cave. You know, we, we need to be out and about. And that means not just within your own home, but getting out and meeting with other people. You know, during COVID time, I mentioned that I had retired early on and I had really some really good friends that we got out and we hiked with, you know, did what we could outside, got on our bicycles, played some golf. We just got out and did something. So it's that whole proverbial get out of your man cave to get encourage guys to get out of their house um, and meet with other people. You know, it's so funny, Rich. I cannot tell you how many men I've met with in the last year and a half who have said, I just have to confess something. I was so excited for this COVID thing. I didn't have to interact mm. with people. And so this is this really, it's a tell for men, right? That, that we do not default to this. We don't default to relationships. Uh, and so, but it's the very thing that keeps us going, which we're going to talk about more in the book. So the next uh, word out of your book, I thought was really good. And this was on page 130 of your book. And you talk about this phrase, which we've already hinted at called commonality. Can you explain what commonality sure. means to you? Sure. So that's the first of the formula that I say is needed to not just develop a friendship, but to turn into a God buddy. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, finding commonality is, you know, finding that hobby that you enjoy with somebody, that sports team, just finding that first level that, that um, of commonality. I mean, I can't find a better word than that um, with somebody that gives you a little bit of a connection there. It could be, you know, your, your kids are all on the same youth soccer team or something like that. And you have to be there. And all of a sudden you start chit-chatting with them and you just find out that they're also a, you know, pick your team fan, um, you know, or they work in the same industry. There's that first level of commonality. But as I began to think about this more, I was, it was like, you know, there's, there's, there's more than just finding one commonality. And in the book, I reference that there's actually people who suggest you need two commonalities for a good friendship. Well, I think it's not just two commonalities, but you need to develop some chemistry between you. And that's when you really start feeling that bond uh, with another man where you found one or two things that are commonality that lead into finding some chemistry. And then later on, I talk about that there's actually a third element to having this God buddy relationship. And that's a calling to a higher standard and that's calling up to God's standards. 
Yeah, that's, that's really powerful. You know, it's really funny when you talk about chemistry. I think chemistry is so powerful. In fact, when I hire people on our staff, chemistry is one of five things I'm looking for. If there's no chemistry, it's not going to work. And quite frankly, it's really difficult to find that one guy that that God buddy that with the chemistry, it's really hard to find. In fact, the best we can do according to your book is maybe a three to five guys that we would call our God buddies, which we're going to get to that a little bit later, but your book is called the man cave. The subtitle is the crisis of male friendships and turning good friends into God buddies. So when I read that, the thing that stood out to me the most is what is the difference between a good friend and what is a God buddy? How are good friends and God buddies different in your opinion? So great, great question. I've been asked that multiple times, um, <laughs> especially as I started getting into the final stages of the book. And, you know, the, the, we've all had these good friends that we've grown up with through, you know, our childhood friends and our fraternity brothers and you know, our bowling buddies or golfing buddies as we've gotten older. And those are good friends, you know, and some of them you keep in your life. But to really go to that next level and become a God buddy, I think you need somebody who understands and shares the vision for becoming more Christ-like. And they share that goal with you. And they're willing to put themselves out there and say, hey, I want to become a better man. I want to grow with you and learn what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And that that's that third element that I mentioned in the God buddy formula in the book that, that is needed to turn a good friend into a God buddy. Well, and that's a powerful statement, Rich. I have found, I've got some great, I, men rally around purpose, right? So I've got uh, a guy who I just recently started goose hunting with, great guy. I've got another buddy that I archery hunt with. I've got guys I do various things with, but what I have found is if I don't have, if that guy is not a fall, a devoted follower of Jesus, then there's something missing in every conversation on the soul level. My soul longs to be its best version. It longs to have a depth and a wealth to it that can only be found through Jesus Christ. And when I don't have a guy who shares that soul level component or capacity with me, my life is lacking. Do you find that's true? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think this goes back to that chemistry thing a little bit. You know, there's, there's really chemistry is comes as a result of the Holy spirit. Yes. You know, and, and my original God buddy, Bill, um, and I, you know, when we first met each other, there was something that just connected us and I attribute it to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I, a funny, I, story, funny story in the book um, that I that I wrote about when shortly after Bill and I met, we were in a charity golf outing, hardly knew each other, but we were on different holes and we each teed off and we were on parallel holes and our balls ended up in uh in the other person's fairway, we'll just say it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, as we, as we, as we both walked toward each other, we recognized each other, but the guys in the other group didn't know that we knew each other. We start flailing our arms at each other and, and pretending to yell and get really angry with each other and saying, you're just horrible. What are you doing in my fairway? And we just got all over each other. And that was just the Holy Spirit connecting us. And you know, we found some chemistry early on. And it was, we got all kinds of laughs out of that when we finally revealed that we knew each other. And two ships crossing in that or two balls crossing in the fairway. Actually, that probably doesn't exactly. sound right on a podcast. So anyway, I'll just, 
I'll just move on. So in the book, you quote uh, Dr. Robin Dunbar. And I want to talk about this quote. You said, you, she said, you can only maintain up to five close friendships. And she ultimately concludes the ideal number is between three to five vital friendships for optimal well-being. So let's talk about these God buddies. Is, is this the same for you? Do you think that three to five is that is that like Jesus inner circle? What what would you call these three to five guys? Are they your God buddies, the inner circle, or are these terms interchangeable? Talk to us. Well, I think it 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 ver the number varies. It's no prescribed formula. And while three to five is a really good number, because you know, we've been in men's groups that maybe there's 10, 15, 20 guys there. And you know, the Sometimes the discussions will go a little bit deep, but it really doesn't dig deep into your soul. There isn't a guy who's going to sit there and say, hey, I really struggle with lust, you know, and you're, you know, this, this, uh, or drug addiction or something like that. You know, in a larger group like that, people really won't share that information. And I would say, even in a group, maybe around five or six guys, you don't really get that much deeper. So you picked up on the whole, um, Jesus inner circle thing. I really think that the the deepest innermost um, connection you have is with maybe up to three guys. Now I have a group of guys that there's seven of us that we've really gone deep um, and we trust each other and stuff like that. And I've got another group of guys in our regular men's group where there's you know not quite that level of depth. So that's why I say it's not quite a hard fixed number. But I think anytime you get above five, it's it's a lot harder to uh, to really get get that level of depth. Well, it's really funny because when I think of uh, this inner circle or these God buddies, I think of who are the guys I'll call at 2 a.m. And then once I identify those guys, I've got to ask the next question, how deep do I know those guys and how deep they know me, right? And so it's really interesting because when you read Mark chapter 8, in Mark chapter eight, Mark chapter eight, guys, if, if you don't know, it's the hinge point of the gospel of Mark, 16 chapters in Mark and chapter eight is where Peter confesses Christ. Uh, Christ. Jesus says, Hey, on this rock, I'll build my church. And then a couple verses later, I think it's verse 27. I'm going off a of memory. Jesus tells Peter, Hey, get behind me, Satan. Now, if I were to say that to anybody else, it would probably ruin the relationship. But I think that speaks to how well Jesus and Peter knew, loved each other, and connected. Clearly, that's a God buddy phrase. I mean, hopefully, you don't have to say that to your buddies, but what's your take on that whole get behind me, Satan, in the context of being a God buddy? Well, I've never had to say get behind me, Satan, to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to put myself in that same category as Jesus. Hey, listen, and don't but ever say it to your wife. Don't ever say that to your no, wife, for ever. Sure. <laughs> But I think there's certainly opportunities where you need to call somebody out. And that, in fact, that's what Jesus was doing there. You know, I was at uh, coffee with somebody once and he took a phone call from his wife and just the tone that he was using in that phone call. And I was, and he hung up and I just felt convicted by the Holy Spirit in this case. I was like, is that always talk to your wife? And I could see the pause in his face, you know, and this wasn't one of my typical God buddies, but um, I think you, it, you're able to do that once you've developed a level of trust and relationship. You know, you're not going to go to the, to the neighbor next door and start calling him out on something if you don't really have that same level of, of depth in the relationship. Um, you might be able to say, hey, you know, you talked over that guy in men's group. 
but to call somebody out to the point of saying, is that the way you talk to your wife? Or, hey, I've been seeing a lot of anger bubbling up in you, or, wow, your eyes are really not bouncing the way they should be when, you know, you, you know when you're, um, you know, at, at church or among a, a group of neighbors or something like that. Yeah, that's, that's really good, man. I appreciate that. So speaking of God buddies in this three to five number, you, you talked about Howard Hendricks, who was a beloved professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, one of my favorite books in my library is called Color Between the Lines that he wrote. We've had his son on our podcast, just an amazing human being. He believed that every believer should foster three uh, relationships in their life. Can you unpack those for us and how they connect and relate to God, buddies? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this, again, parallels Jesus' inner circle, you know, with having three plus him, of course. But, um, you know, what Hendricks is saying is everybody needs a Timothy, a Barnabas, and a Paul in their life. And, you know, Paul is that, you know, older man that you learn a lot from, um, you know, can be a mentor to you as you get older, you know, they've just been down the road before you and you can call them up for those situations that you've never encountered. Um, Barnabas, uh, you know, I, and I think Hendricks says this too, is, is really that side-by-side -side buddy, the encourager, you know, Barnabas's nickname was the encourager. Yep. And you need somebody like that who, when they just see your shoulders slumped or your walk, you're shuffling through, they need to do something that gets you that bounce back in your step. You know, you need somebody in your life that's really going to know you well enough to know when you're struggling and, and can call you up with that, that call, um, you know, at the end of a week that he knew it was going to be really tough. Well, not um, only is he a side-by-side -side buddy, but as you study the scriptures, it becomes real clear that... Barnabas, in some way, discipled Paul. There was some kind of relationship shift with those guys. Can you walk mm -hmm. us through what, what you see there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Barnabas was the one who um, really uh, started to, to build up Paul and mm -hmm. really, you know, uh, presented him to the disciples and, and everybody there, you know, because Paul was Saul at one time. And, you know, there was people who weren't quite sure about this guy, how how yeah. serious he was and after his conversion and Barnabas was the one who kind of led the charge and you could just feel as you read uh, the feel the the encouragement that he was providing and, and the confidence that was building in Paul and then that whole relationship did shift to the point where you know they had they did have their moment where they had to split and go different ways but you know throughout that time Barnabas was was uh the person who really encouraged Paul, and then they shifted over, and then later on, you know, Paul became more of the lead mentor in a lot of that relationship, and then built it into, the, you know, his Timothys later on, his younger guys. Later. Yeah, and speaking of Timothy, talk us through this Timothy relationship and how a man can go about being a Timothy and having a Timothy. Yeah, so in in my case, you know, Bill, my original God buddy, was 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 my Paul and I was his Timothy. I mean, he just helped me through so many work, work situations and just life in general. He had two, two sons as well that were older. You know, he's gone down the road before me. So I learned a lot from him. I was his Timothy. And I think I've, I hope that I've added some purpose to his life there as well. And that's something that, you know, people who are Paul's would, could gain or benefit from having a Timothy in their life. They bring new encouragement. They help them learn that technology. You know, the things that maybe we struggle with as we get older. Um, 
from a Timothy standpoint, I think it's really important that we as middle-aged men begin to pour ourselves back into younger kids these days. You know, if you think back on when we were early married, we thought we had it all figured out. And of course we didn't, but you know, there's those people who will tap you on the shoulder when your kids are acting up at church and says, you know what, you're the only one that notices that nobody's, uh, nobody's paying attention to the kids, you know, mm. punching each other in the pew or anything <laughs> like that. Um, you know, we're, we're young and we don't, we think we haven't figured out and we don't. Um, in my case, I've been really fortunate to have three younger guys who in our denomination, you know, they go through a confirmation process in eighth grade freshman year and they reach out to somebody to be their sponsor. And I've had three guys uh, reach out to me, young guys um, who I've kept in contact with. One of them just had his first baby. He's in his mid thirties now. He still goes on our annual men's getaway, even though he doesn't attend our church anymore. He's moved away, but he still comes in to town for that. Um, Another one is uh, just got engaged. We had dinner the other day and, you know, he's asking me questions about, you know, job transitions because he's considering a different one. So we start talking about finding the right culture and just things that you wouldn't think about as, as, a, as a younger person. And then the third one is away at college right now. And he's the one who stretches me intellectually. You know, he's, he's a very smart kid. I was, you know, surprised when he even reached out to me because I was like, what do I have in common to this guy? And, and he, he stretches me intellectually, but I've really learned from that. And it's added some extra um, energy to my life too. So all three of these people in your life, the Paul, the Barnabas, the Timothy, I know there's more than three, but Paul, Barnabas, and Timothy, do you ha have the chemistry with all of those? Is that important? I think it is, you know, I think it, especially when you reach out to a younger guy, a Timothy, it's, it develops, you know, you may have something in common, but in the case of my, the all three Timothys, you know, there's chemistry that's slowly evolving. And, and even though each of them are probably about five to six years apart in age, you know, they're all at different levels of, of commonality and, and chemistry with them. Um, and it develops, you know, the middle one, I probably don't have quite as much chemistry with as the other. So it's not real linear. Um, it just comes with time though. And the more you reach out to them, the more chemistry you build. Yeah. I think that's really the, important the to note because sometimes the chemistry develops as you really get to know it, because guys aren't going to show their hand instantly. So what may seem like, man, there's a little bit of a lack of chemistry here as men show their hand, you start to go, oh, I, okay, I, I'm connecting with this guy. And I think that we need to get water under the bridge, right? In fact, you in your book, you talked about the amount of hours it takes to actually build certain levels of friendship. And I think that's what you're uh, alluding to, correct? Yes. Yeah. It just takes time. You know, they like, I'm going to go, I'm, you're, you're a hunter. I'm more of a golfer and a sports guy. Um, you know, they say it takes something like 121 hours to build a new habit, right? Of doing something, take my golf swing, which is needs certainly a lot more hours than I've been putting into it. But, uh, you know, the more time you spend with somebody, the more you get into a groove and that's that chemistry. It's like, you don't think about it, um, quite as much, the more you do it. And that's the same thing. I think with friendship, the more time you spend with them. And then that's when, what happens is if you go a long time without seeing somebody, you know, you've heard all those things where people will, uh, you know, hadn't seen a good friend in a long time. And it's just like they pick up wherever they left off. It's because they spent a lot of time together. over the years. 
No, that's really good. And I think our target audience, Rich, is, is guys living in the arena of life or the stress bubble between they're about 30 to 55. They've got kids in the home and those guys don't have a lot of free time. In fact, we're getting ready to produce all of our books on Audible because they aren't even they have no time to even read. And so that's why I read the book mm. for them and interview guys like you. But these guys, it's so important that, that they have things they enjoy doing and they have buddies they do them with, whether it be golfing or hunting, or we just had a guy on our podcast last week, uh, Brian Tome, who does motorcycle backpack trips. So, you know, some hobby that these guys can pour into with each other, because that's really where guys grow closer is these side to side, side by side relationships. Yeah. And rarely, I think you'll find people in that stress bubble who are just ready to jump in and commit to, uh, to jumping into a Saturday morning men's Bible study because they don't see the value in that until maybe they've done it for a while and things like that. Um, you know, in my case, I, I, I did it at the strong urging of my wife because I was struggling with workaholism at the time and teetering on depression. And she's like, and you got to get something else on your mind. Why don't you try this? the, the men's, men's group at church. And I think deep down, she knew that there was guys there who were, uh, you know, had probably gone through workaholism struggles as well. And sure enough, you know, as we got in and got to know each other, you start developing that chemistry and all of a sudden people start to reveal a little bit more and you go, wow, you too, huh? You, you got this problem. There's a great C.S. Lewis quote in there that a friend in the book that a friendship begins when somebody says, what you too, you know, yeah. and it's just fill in the blank, you know, and whatever the common commonality is there, you too struggle with workaholism, you too struggle with pornography, you too, you know, drink too much, pick them, you know, we have a lot of choices. Well, I think that was referring to his relationship with J.R.R. Tolkien, right, uh, and the Inklings, <laughs> and, that, and that's such a powerful group. So you said uh, just now that the strong urging of my wife, now, in the book, you offer what I call a warning or a, if there's going to be a danger sign in your book, I think that you would put it here on page 109 of your book, about halfway through your book. And, and I had never thought of this before, but this really made sense to me. And it's the concept. Well, I'm going to let you explain it. Talk to us about Terry Orbuck's book, Finding Love Again, Six Steps to a New and Happy Relationship where she discovered something very interesting about the emotional dependence of men. Can you walk us through that and what you discovered? I think this is a great warning for guys. And I kind of took it. I, I felt a little slap on the face when I read this. I thought, oh, man, Ramos, you need to fix this. And so because I, I find myself in the same spot. So can you walk us through this? I think this is a great warning for men. Well, uh... <laughs> Guys are not emotional beings. I mean, let, let's face it. We are, um, we're, we're just, we're just, we don't like to share our emotions. And Orbach um, says that we need encouragement from other men as well to be vulnerable and to, um, you know, it's usually demonstrated. It's not like you can say, hey, dude, loosen up, you know, and, and come on, share with me a little bit. You know, we're, we're just not, as emotionally dependent um, as as women are, so we tend to hide behind these masks and and things like that. Um, so we we tend to put what I think Orbach is saying is that women tend to put their wives into the center circle of all their friends um, because they're safe. 
And then the guys are in kind of concentric circles around there. And as those concentric circles go wider, you have less commonality, less trust, you know, you're less vulnerable and things like that. So those outer circles become less safe for you. So, you know, with our wives, we should be 100% safe in sharing things. So that's where we tend to go. But if you have in your next circle of guys, this inner circle, um, you know, these are guys that you should be able to share some things with that, you know, you wouldn't share with the next outer circle or, you know, that group of five, six, 10 guys that, that know you well, but not that well. I think that's, a, that's just important that you, you have that same level of um, trust with three guys as you would with your wife. Yeah, that was a little disturbing to me when, when Orbuck discovered that in these concentric circles, women placed several close friendships as the innermost circle. So the husband was not in that innermost circle. The, their friendships were, but men consistently put the wife in the center of the circle and the other friends on the outer circles. And how would you say that's kind of a warning to men? Oh, well, um, I guess the, the warning would be that we need to have a few number of guys that we move into that center circle. You know, there's, there's a part of the book where I talk, and this is a little bit controversial, about how your wife shouldn't be your only best friend. You know, there are so many guys who will say, oh, yeah, my wife is my best friend and should be, should absolutely know a lot about you, should be one of your, be your best friends but should not be your only best friend. I believe that you should have other guys who should be your best friends too, that you can get out and do things with and have separate type conversations because it's a really difficult thing. And it, and it varies by guy too. You know, not every guy can come home and say, yeah, I'm struggling with, you know, pornography. Can you tell, can you help me with this? She should know about it, but that may be the kind of thing that you have to first confess it to one of your other best friends, your, one of your guy friends, because he'll understand it different than your wife. Your wife will immediately say, oh, what am I doing wrong? I'm no longer beautiful. I'm no one, you know, he needs to go someplace else. Absolutely not the case. It's usually something different than that. It's, it's how he deals with stress or some of those things. And I think that's where another guy, your inner circle, understands that part and might be able to help you, help coach you into how you best go about talking about you know, it's really interesting, Rich, that we have you on our show because the podcast we released just before this one was with Brian Tome, who's a senior pastor of one of the largest churches in America out of Cincinnati, Ohio. And he said he's adamant that a man's best friend should not be his wife for the same reasons that you said. And I, when I look at who my best friend is and I put it all together, I had to be convicted. I go, man, I think it might be my wife. And I realize that's bad because my wife knows that I have covenant eyes on all my devices, but she doesn't know the depth of why or the temptation. Does that make sense? I mean, I don't go home and go, mm -hmm. hey, honey, I, you know, this and that. There are certain things I don't tell her, not, not because I'm yeah. afraid to or because uh, I don't want to go deep, but because I don't want to hurt my wife. And so I have guys that I talk to about that to help me find victory. And I've come, I mean, I'm doing awesome in so many areas and I tell my wife virtually everything, but there are certain things that a wife should not know that, you know, that, that we need to have, that's why women have that inner circle 
because they have people they tell things to that they don't tell their husband to. They don't tell their husband. And so I, I think there's something to this statement that your wife should not be your only best friend. And that's really important. And that's where we get into this God buddy discussion. So I wanted to save the last part of this interview to really go through this equation or this formula that you've developed. So you call this your God buddy friendship formula. So there are certain things that that will help us to identify, invest in, and grow this relationship with this God buddy. And so you have on page 130 of your book, you list uh, four, three things that equal a God buddy. Can you walk us, and we talked about one of them already, but can you go back and walk us through those three things that make up or the formula for a God buddy? Sure. Yeah. The, the, so the, the, you know, the first thing is commonality that we've talked about um, before, and then it builds into chemistry. And then the third one is a common pursuit of, um, uh, you know, pursuing Christ, becoming more Christ-like. There's also some principles that I outline in the book that I think are important to this. And it's, and it, you know, I struggled as I was putting the, get the book together, whether these were part of a formula or not, but there was four points that, that God buddies um, help sharpen each other. You know, one of the, key, my life verses is Proverbs 27, 17. Mm. You know, as, as one man sharpens another, another, you know, we sharpen each other. Um, and, and that's one of the, the key things is we men sharpen other men. Um, we also encourage each other, you know, that goes back to our discussion about uh, Barnabas, you know, you need somebody that's going to just be there when you are just slogging through the mud, you know, in, in the middle of that stress bubble, as you call it. Um, and then the fourth one is we grow, grow together. This is, you know, personal growth, spiritual growth, you know, maybe physical growth, you know, emotional growth, you know, there's a lot of areas of growth, but you grow together, you tend to do things together and make each other better men. And then you do life together. You know, we have a group of, of, of guys in our church, we've raised our kids together. And, you know, we just, we do life together that way. You know, our, we're, we're going to kid, our kids' weddings and, and uh, you know, seeing them have babies. So some of us are having grandchildren. You know, you just, when you spend 20, 30 years in doing life together with somebody, you get to know them really, really well and you celebrate their life accomplishments too. And then you're also there to help them when they're struggling with things. So we sharpen each other, we encourage each other, we grow together and we do life together. I yeah, I, I love what you say here on uh, higher standards. And that goes back to that service type of relationship is that, you know, water seeks its own level, you know, rising tide causes all shifts uh, to, to lift. If that God buddy is not pressing with me to a higher standard of life, that's not a God buddy. Yeah. I don't think everybody's going to have numerous God buddies. Absolutely. You know, we have lots of good friends you know, even maybe within that inner circle, there may not be some God buddies in that inner circle because maybe you've got a really good friend and, you know, they help you with career, um, career counseling or do something like that. You know, it's part of your personal board of directors. They may not be a believer, but they're a good friend of yours that, that um, you know, help you become a better man or, or mentor you in other areas. But I think, you know, in the end, there's usually probably two or three guys who really are God buddies that, that really share that common pursuit of being Christ-like. And they call you up to be more like it when you're not. And they, and you, 
you know, they open themselves up to have, allowing you to do the same thing with them. So do you think that uh, in your formula, commonality plus chemistry plus high standards equals a God buddy friendship? Is that progressive? Does it start? In other words, does that God buddy relationship in your, in your mind, start with a commonality uh, builds on chemistry and then, and then ultimately higher standards or are those just three it, the order doesn't matter to you? No, I think, I think it does. I mean, uh, you know, they may happen on a different timeline, you know, something may progress really fast because you just, you know, you just find commonality with somebody quickly, you find the chemistry and all of a sudden, boom, a few months later, you're in Bible study together, or maybe you find them right away. But, um, you know, building commonality, I think has to precede chemistry, you know, and think of it as a bonding agent, you know, like epoxy, you know, you have two things that go together, and they start to form that bond, and that bond becomes a friendship, but un until you add that that, uh, you know, that third component, I, I don't think you can add the third component until you've had chemistry in common. No, I agree hundred percent with that, Rich. I just think that's very powerful that, it, that men rally behind a common mission purpose theme that there's this, and then from those men, you have uh, may, hopefully one or two that there's a deep chemistry and that can lead to something. And I think that is uh, a very, very important for men to understand. So I do appreciate you saying that. And I, and so, which is really why, so you talk about golfing, how you met your buddy, Bill through golf. Was it Bill? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. So, so talk to us about this concept of most, the guys listen to this podcast are guys that are either working hard in life. These guys are hard working dudes. So they don't struggle with being lazy or slothful. They struggle with guilt around play what would you say about men commonality and play that is a factor here um i think the biggest factor is that men feel guilty when they get out and play if they've been working so hard you know we put in a ton of hours and we have kids and i mean that's why you call it the stress bubble right yeah so we feel guilty getting out to quote unquote play but as I, as I say, I think guys need to blow the stink off at times, you know, we yes. need to get out and, and uh, you know, whether it's hunting or golfing or just going to a ball game or, you know, getting together over a fire pit to shoot the breeze with a bunch of guys, we need to have that time in there, but we feel so guilty that we don't want to, um, we don't want to take the time away. I once reached out to a younger guy in our, in our church, this goes back a few years ago, and said, you know, hey, you know, we've got this study coming up and we're actually going to go do this with the men's, men's getaway. It's coming up in the spring. And why don't you, you know, would you consider joining us? He's like, Rich, that all sounds great. I don't even have time for myself these days, which was, which it, it profound, made me profoundly sad that he doesn't even have time for himself. And, well, you know, that's, that's a problem with guilt. Yeah. And I would say that's a problem. I, I, and Rich, I don't know. I'm 55. How old are you? 62. Okay. So we've got a few years under our belt. I have found that the guys who live in the highest levels of victory over time are the guys that work hard and play hard. These guys that are, all they do is work and don't play. I see their relationship suffering. I see their marriage suffering. My wife will tell me this. This is funny. My wife is awesome. Sometimes she'll look me straight in the eye and goes, get out of the house and go kill something. <laughs> you need to get out of the house because this is not where I came back from a hunting trip one year and I killed a giant bull elk. And my wife said, you need to go do something else. Cause that it was a very easy hunt. 
the hunt was over the first day. You know, and she said, you need to go do something hard, get out of the house. And so my wife recognized that play fills me. And I would tell you guys that are listening, if you don't have a hobby or a, a, an outlet for you to play, I'm just going to say this. I believe that your family and your marriage, everything around you is going to suffer. You need to find that time to detox, to build that commonality with a guy or a group of guys that could potentially with chemistry and higher standards, become a God buddy. Rich, what are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I was trying to wrap up the book, I actually added some at the back that included some letters from wives. Yes. Um, you know, one of them was the, the wife of um, a very good friend of mine who passed away unexpectedly after working out one day, died at way too young of, a, of an age. And she, when, as we were talking about this, she said, you know what? I saw the change in Chris by having you and other guys in his, in a, in his life. It helped our marriage. It helped him uh, battle his, his um, addictions. It helped him at work. There was just, she saw the value of, of it. And I, and I felt like I needed to put some things in the book that a guy could say, I need to have this in my life. And here's some words of encouragement from, from some wives to, about why it's important. Now, if you're going to go out and go out to the local bar every Wednesday night with a bunch of, of, of guys, you know, there's a little, not that there's anything wrong with, you know, having a cocktail or two, but, you know, if you're doing it all the time, maybe those aren't the kind of guys who fit into the God buddy category. So well, I think what, I think once the, um, once, once the wives um, see that these are good, high quality guys, they feel more comfortable and will actually encourage you to get out and, and spend some more time with them and, and give you permission to, to do that. Well, the reason why going to the bar with your buddies is not a good thing over time is because it goes back to your God buddies formula, which is commonality, chemistry, and higher standards. Going to a bar with your buddies and getting buzzed is not a higher standard. I, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I am not a teetotaler. However, there's nothing good that comes from alcohol, whether diet, whether the, the, uh, the alteration of your mind, so going to a bar with your buddies once in a while, hey, that's fun. But regularly, I think that hurts you. And it goes back to your life verse, Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. But see, what most guys don't realize is that word another in the Hebrew language is the Hebrew word penne, and it literally means face. So what, mm -hmm. what are guys doing to sharpen my face, my countenance, you know, the eye of the tiger? And, and being buzzed on a cocktail at a bar isn't going to do it. No, no, it's not. And, and you do that enough times and all of a sudden you hopefully realize that that's not the higher standard that you're being called to. And that's where, you know, as, <laughs> I'm going to rewind just a little bit going back to our, uh, when I first got started in the men's group, you know, we started lamenting how we, many of us had lost some of our friends and, you know, some of the guys that we used to hang around with, you know, we just didn't, didn't think they were the guys we should be hanging around with as much. And for some reason, it just came out. It's like, man, it sounds like we need God buddies. And that just stuck. That lexicon became everything in our men's group. And over the years, the guys kept, you know, as we made that part of everything we do, they kept encouraging me to write a book about this and finally got around, around to doing it. But 
it's, it's that higher standard, I think, that is so important because we can all have really good friends, but, you know, the, we, we need, especially these days, when you see so many things going on in the media, we need guys living to a higher standard. We need men helping men become better men. Yeah, that's really good, man. Well, you know, your book reminded me of a, another friend of mine, David Dusek, has a ministry called Rough Cut Men, and he has a book called David. Who's Got Your Six, and in that book, he talked about battle buddies. So I, I, there's a lot of common ground there, you know, who's got your back. But one of the things that I'm not going to dive in, I'll let the guys read your book. I'm not going to dive in for your formula for relational growth depth, but what I am going to do is there's, there are certain things in this book that really were special to me, Rich, that stood out things I hadn't known before. And one of them, and it really, if you take this commonality plus uh, chemistry, plus higher standards, it, it equals a God buddy. I think we have to look at this relational depth component. And one of the words that I think is so important, and you explain it and unpack it in your book on page 144, is this word vulnerable. Can you talk to us about mm -hmm. the Latin of this word and why it's so critical for guys who don't want to show their hand to start understanding what this word vulnerable means literally? Yeah, so vulnerability is... is... <laughs> It's a hard, really hard word for people to get their head around. You know, they 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 don't want to real. So to your point, the Latin root of it is the word wound, right? It's so it's exposing your woundedness, and guys don't like to expose their woundedness. You know, they don't. We've got it all together. You know, we we don't uh, we don't need we don't have any problems. But you know what? everybody's normal till you get to know them, right? And we've all got issues and we all have wounds, whether it's something related to the relationship with our parents or the fact that we're all alone, we don't understand the vision for manhood. I'm talking about some of Dr. Robert Lewis's stuff from uh, Quest for Authentic Manhood or 33, the series, you know, this, these are all things that were huge for me back then. Um, everybody's got something. You know, and until you really get to know somebody, they may put this veneer on on Sunday mornings and you think, oh, they've got all their, their act together, but they really don't. There's something behind mm -hmm. there that until they have a relationship and start becoming vulnerable with somebody, you really can't unpack that. Yep. You can't unpack that wound and, and move forward from it. Yeah. You didn't say womb. You said womb. No. <laughs> I just want to make sure womb. the guys heard that. Okay. Uh, every guy does not have a womb. Okay. Just like, you know, so that's, well, I just thought it was really interesting because the word means to wound. And then it also can mean capable of being physically wounded or having the power to wound. So not only does that word vulnerable mean wound, but it also is empowering. When I say to a God buddy, I am giving you the power to wound me. What is that in Proverbs 27? It also says faithful are the wounds of a friend. Yeah, that and I mean, is, does that is that is that this kind is. of connect with vulnerability to you? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it once you start becoming vulnerable, you effectively give that other person the ability to um, speak into your life, to call you out a little bit, you know, to wound you. So you may expose some of your wounds, but to your point, you know, you you open yourself up and say, "You can wound me. You can and extract out the impurities in me." by, um, you know, calling me out on it. They may be blind spots. I mean, I even realized I talked to my wife that way on the phone, 
you know, yeah. but until somebody wounds me or calls me out on it, then you go, wow, you know, I guess I do, you know, and you may yeah, not and see, realize it. Personally, I don't like the word wound. I believe the word, I believe what you're saying hundred percent, but I love it. Calling me out, preventing me from getting snot bubbled, jacking me up, thrashing me. You know, I mean, we, we just guys, we have to get over the word and realize we have to invite guys into our lives who are going to call us out when they see a blind spot. I mean, that helmet right there, I've got a story of that helmet when I got snot bubbled by a guy and I never saw him come and spun me out of the out of bounds laying there staring up at the stars. And I'm not talking about the stars in the sky because I didn't see it coming. And so we need those God buddies to go, listen, you're a jackweed. Stop that, mm -hmm. you know, and to, and to, you know, faithful, are the wounds of a friend. And so I think that is good. So, so Rich, anything else about your book that you want to extract for these guys? Well, I think there's, um, there's, you know, the, the chapter in the book, there's one that talks about all the characteristics or what I call the traits of God, buddy. And you know, we talked about commonality and chemistry, trust and confidentiality, uh, having empathy, being non-judgmental, confronting, having loyalty, there's just a lot, lot of things that you'll build into the relationship as it develops. But my number one encouragement to guys is just do it. You know, yeah. just get started on something. Reach out to a guy that you admire. You know, maybe it's that older guy at church who works, you know, he's the vice president of the company there that you want to work for. Or maybe it's just somebody who just seems to have their stuff together and reach out to him and, and buy him a cup of coffee and say, you know, I really admire you. Would you be interested in starting to develop a relationship? Now, it may be that you catch that guy in a time where he doesn't have any, any, any bandwidth, but get started, do it, and don't be discouraged. You, you just got to stick with it, and you're going to find the right one. The Holy Spirit will bring that right person for you. You pray about it before you reach out to him, and that person will be revealed to you. I really believe that. No, I, that's really good, man. Rich, I really appreciate you coming on our show. And how can these guys pick up a copy of your book and get involved in your ministry? Yeah, so um, you can pick up a copy on Amazon. Um, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say they want a signed copy. I kind of joke about it being a, uh, it'll devalue the, the book <laughs> if I get you a signed copy. But I've had a lot of people reach out and want one of those. So I'll meet up with somebody or I'll ship you one. Um, you can reach out to me through the God Buddies blog. It's god-buddies.com. Um, and there's a way that you can contact me that way. And, you know, there's I've had people buy them for their men's groups, um, give it to their pastor and say, hey, I think this is the kind of thing that we need to talk about in our church and that. So um, there's, a, you know, you can reach me many different ways. Well, I appreciate that, man. Hey, thanks so much, Rich, for coming on our show, sharing your experience, wisdom, and sharing your book for us today. Yeah, thank you, Jim. It's been an honor. I really appreciate you uh, allowing me to be part of it, and I enjoy your podcast, and and uh, hopefully between the two of us, we're reaching more and more guys. Hey, man, that's the goal. We just need to get out there and uh, give our guys an opportunity to walk in their best version. So guys, what's next? Let's get our boots on the ground. What will you do because of what you've heard today? And so here's what really stood out to me in building God buddies. So I want you to do this. I want you to identify three things. Who is, who is your functioning Paul? Who is your functioning, not, not theoretically here, functioning. 
who functions as your Paul, who functions as your Barnabas, your side-by-side -side guy, and who functions as your Timothy. And uh, if you don't have that, want to take that recipe that Rich gave you in his book, the commonality, the chemistry, and the higher standards, and, and really begin to pour that into uh, each of those three categories. Okay. So guys, make sure you head on over to meninthearena.org, grab your free copy of my newest book. Tell them what great fathers tell their sons and daughters. I say that book is free and sign up to join one of our many virtual teams by checking the join the program button until next time. Feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game, get dirty, grind it out and be a man. Amen. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.